the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. When the Mood is Right, A Poetry Journey and Mood Swings by Queen P. Available on Amazon and all good bookstores. The Royal Affair by Queen P. Dim the lights, sit back, relax, and breathe. You have entered into the Royal Affair. Queen P. Poetry Podcasts. Available now, 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 now. The Royal Affair. Get ready for takeoff. Exploring relationships with award-winning therapists, coaches, and authors, Kim Oliver, Faust Ruggiero, Kelvin Troy Johnson, and Talisha Delmer. Welcome back to my In Conversation podcast series. My guest for this episode is an American author, relationship counsellor and coach who specialises in choice theory, Kim Oliver. Well, Kim, you're recognised worldwide as an expert in choice theory. What exactly is choice theory? Well, choice theory has evolved over the years. It was posited by psychiatrist Dr. William Glasser, who was using therapy called reality therapy. And he was looking for a theory that explained why reality therapy worked. And he found a theory called control theory that was developed by William Powers. And control theory is an engineering theory about perception. And when Glasser discovered Powers theory, he understood why reality therapy worked. So he started to work with Powers theory and he made some additions, namely the five basic human needs as well as the concept of total behavior, meaning that when we behave, we have three parts to our behavior all the time happening simultaneously. And so when he did that, he decided his his theory should be named choice theory instead of control theory. And he got Powers permission to change the name because he had added so many things to it. And when people heard control theory, they got the wrong idea. They thought that control meant Um, You were going to control other people. And choice theory is really just the opposite. It's about we all have choices, no matter our circumstances, we have choices. And it's the, uh, the choices that we choose that actually direct our life. So choice theory started as an explanation of human behavior. It explained why people did the things that they did. It was very useful for those who were practicing reality therapy. And then Dr. Glasser was advising all of us who used reality therapy to start teaching choice theory to our clients. So it became less of an explanation of human behavior and more a way of helping people help themselves. By teaching them the theory, they could make better choices and improve their life. And most recently, um, right before Dr. Glasser passed away, his most recent work was about relationships. And he created lists of 
seven connecting relationship habits and seven disconnecting relationship habits. Of course, there's more than seven, but those seven, if you can get a have uh, get a handle on decreasing the use of the destructive ones, the disconnecting ones, and increase the connecting ones, then you can actually say you're living your life in a choice theory way. So it kind of morphed from an explanation of human behavior to a self-help psychology to a way of living your life. So in the theory, what are some of the healthy connections or healthy behavior connections and what are the destructive ones? I'll start with the destructive ones because they're much easier to understand and probably we've all used them in some form or another. And the, the reason we use them, and this is one of the proponents of, or one of the conditions of choice theory, is that all humans have pictures in their heads of how they want things to be. And in our heads, everything's perfect. But when we come out into the real world, we realize things aren't perfect. Our partners aren't perfect. Our jobs aren't perfect. Their life just isn't matching the pictures that we have in our head. So then we start to work on the people and things in our life to try to get those things to match what's in our head. The problem is when you start working on people, they have their own ideas about what their world looks like, and it doesn't include you trying to work on them. So That's what creates a lot of the drama and a lot of the problems in relationships is that we're trying to work on each other and fix each other when the other person doesn't think they're broken. And so it causes strain in the relationship. So some of the behaviors we use to make that happen, um, we might complain, blame, criticize, nag, threaten, punish, and we can even bribe people to do what we want them to do. Honey, if you do this, I'll do that. And even though you may want the bribe, you may engage in that behavior, but there's this, this resentment of being controlled. Why can't you just get the prize without having to perform for it? So that is a disconnecting behavior. So we like to replace those as best we can. And it, it sounds easy. It's not easy. But we try to replace those with listening. And when I say listening, I'm talking about listening for understanding. Supporting is about doing it when things are difficult as well as when it's easy. So it's easy to support people when they're doing what you want them to do. It's not so easy to support them when they get what they want and it makes your life a little more difficult. And then there's encouraging, which is really believing in someone and trying to help them take the steps that they want to take on their own. So it differs from nagging. Nagging, you're trying to get them to do what you want them to do and encouraging, you're trying to help them do what they want to do. It's a big difference. And then there's trusting. And trusting to me is a little complicated because people think trusting means blind trust. And we're pretty skeptical about that blind trust in people. I think that people generally trust, but they trust the wrong thing. People trust the people in their lives to be the people that they want them to be instead of the people that they actually are. And I think based on choice theory, if we can learn what I call the unconditional trust challenge, I've created this challenge that came from something that happened in my life. And my unconditional trust challenge for myself is to always trust every single person to do one thing. And if I trust them to do this one thing, I'm never disappointed and I'm always able to adjust myself. So the one thing I trust everybody to do, and choice theory tells you this is what they're going to do anyway, every person at any moment in time is going to make the best choice they have available to them based on the information they have to get what they want in that moment. And so 
it's not earth shattering. It's just common sense. But if everyone is doing their best to get what they want, and I happen to care about them, why would I be mad about that? It might cause a problem because I wanted something different. I wanted you to do something with me maybe or for me and you chose something different. But if I know that that's what you're going to do, what's most important to you at that moment, then I need to adjust and say, okay, you took care of what you needed. Now I have to figure out how I'm going to get what I need. And then I take responsibility for what I want instead of pointing a finger at someone else and saying, you should be responsible for meeting my needs for me. So that's trust. Respect is another thing. And we like to use the golden rule that we were all taught. Most, most religions have some version of the golden rule where you're supposed to treat others the way you want to be treated. And that works great if the other person wants to be treated the same way you do. But that's not reality. Most people view respect as something different. In the United States, if I go to the southern part of the United States, or if I'm in a military environment, I get called ma'am a lot. Well, to me, ma'am is not respectful. Ma'am makes me feel old. So someone (laughs) is trying to respect me and I'm feeling disrespected. So I like to engage Tony Alessandro's platinum rule. He created this platinum rule that says, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. So you have to engage listening to find out what respect looks like to the other person and then give them what they need to feel respected, not what you might want in a similar situation. Of course, if it's just a passing thing, a server in a restaurant or something like that, they're not going to ask. They're still going to call me ma'am and I'm not going to get upset about it. But if this is someone that you're in relationship with, it's worth investing the time to find out what feels respectful to the other person. My guest for this episode is a psychologist, therapist and author, American Forst Ruggiero. Hi, Forst. Welcome to my podcast series. How are you? I'm well, Agile. Thank you for inviting me. So do you specialize in any particular area? I do a lot of couples work. I do a lot of abuse work, couples counseling, addictions I've done for years. Um, and then just for typical thing, uh, people that commit depression, anxiety, things like that. And how do you believe we can improve our personal relationships? Have you got a top three? The first thing I tell everyone is if you want to have a good relationship with a, with a person, have a good relationship with yourself. That's always number one. I don't care what program you're using, mine, anyone else's. My program is designed to make a person stronger inside. And my feeling is that everything we have to do that is already inside us. We just stopped using it or the environment chipped away or toxic people took it from us or whatever it may be. But we, it's all inside there. I want people to go learn how to use it. So the first thing is have that relationship with yourself. In terms of having relationships with other people, I say take them one at a time. I can't stress that enough. We stereotype people. We um, uh, we generalize. And then we, we form these things in our minds. And what I'm saying to people is just as you and I are sitting down, it's the first time we've met. We spent some time talking. I think it was a very, very nice time. I know when it's done, I'll have a friend because it's one-on-one. It's just me and you. It's just you and I, and we're just treating each other in the moment. And if you can do that with other people, that's great. And the third step I would say is stop with the expectations. You cannot control what someone else thinks or does. Just let them be who they are. If you feel that they're, they can fit into your life, then that's great. 
And when you do that, you'll decide on what level. Like, are they going to come close? Can you trust them? Or are they just going to be a friend or an acquaintance? That's fine. But the expectations of what we think we need to receive from another person really damage us because when we don't receive them, either we're destroyed or we lie to ourselves and try to tell ourselves we are getting what we want. And that's terrible. So try to drop the expectations and go slow with your relationships. Let them let them take their course. My guest for this episode is a personal marriage advisor, American Talisha Delmar. So how did you improve your marriage? How did you make it better? Well, first of all, we, before my husband and I got married, our, you know, we went to a church that had premarital counseling and we were fortunate enough to have premarital counseling. And at that time, you know, it was nine months. So I really thought we were going to be set up. I thought, okay, we go to this nine month premarital training. We're going to be good to go. And so I think it was a bit, a big slap in my face and realizing that, oh my gosh, even though with all this training, we still having these problems. And so one of the things that I told my husband, I said, you know what? This is much bigger than us. We need a third party. So we actually agreed to get counseling and he had his own counselor. I had my own counselor and then we saw the counselor together. So we made a commitment that although things had gotten bad, although at one point in our marriage, we started talking about divorce, we just made a commitment to say, before we throw in the towel, let's give it a go and really put in the work. And so we started to see counselors, which helped us to see, you know, the things that we could do differently to kind of make improvements in our marriage. And that has been a real game changer for us. So what do you consider the top three mistakes that men and women make in their relationships or their marriages? That's a great question, Nigel. I would say the communication. The challenge is there's either a lack of communication and, you know, holding stuff in, not sharing your true innermost thoughts and feelings that can create havoc because sometimes spouses kind of expect, oh, well, you you should know me. You should know how I feel. And we should not expect our spouses to to be mind readers. And so, so when it comes to communication, and a, a lot of times it's, it comes as a result of having a lack of communication. It's not enough talking going on. And then I would also say on the other side of the spectrum, or, or shall I say the other side of the communication spectrum, you have people who do talk, but then they're not using the right words or they're not using the right tone. And so sometimes how, like if, you, if you're talking to your spouse and you're talking in an accusatory manner, your spouses now become defensive. They're not even listening to you anymore. And so the argument is no longer about the argument that you started, but now you're arguing about the tone and why you're accusing me. And so when it comes to communication, it's such a brick umbrella, but we really have to talk about either it's not being done enough or when it is being done, making sure that it's effective communication. So I would definitely say that's one of the biggest mistakes in, in relationships. And what about the other two? I asked you for the top three. Is so many, but I would say when there is conflict, many couples sometimes believe that when they get married, that we should be all aligned all the time. We should just automatically, we're soulmates and we should agree on everything. And I, I like to remind couples all the time that it's okay to have a disagreement. Um, it's okay to not have, to be on the, to have the same mindset because you're both individuals with your own experiences, your own morals, your own education, your own influences that shape 
the decisions that you make and how you feel about certain things. Having opposing views is not the problem. What's the problem, Nigel, is how we handle when we're having opposing views. And so if we don't know how to have a conversation where we're having opposing views and not be able to have a a respectful conversation, not hitting below the belt, not yelling, not criticizing. And and some of this kind of seeps back into the communication, but it's a matter of how we handle this disagreements. And so sometimes for couples, they want to withhold sex. Sometimes couples want to just be like, well, I'm not cooking today. Or sometimes like, well, I don't want to be around you. The appropriate behavior when we feel like when we have opposing views about something. So I think one of the biggest mistakes is when there is a level of one couple wants thinks A, another couple thinks Z, that's not the problem. The problem is how we handle not being on the same page. Um, so I would say that that's another mistake. And then thirdly, I would say probably expectations. When it comes to expectations, either your expectations are unrealistic or they are uncommunicated. And so typically when you're frustrated with your spouse, I always say that uncommunicated and unrealistic expectations is the foundation for frustration. So if people are experiencing frustration in your in their relationship, it's because their spouse didn't do something that they thought they should have done. Or the spouse did something that they thought that they should not have done. So that's where (laughs) frustration comes in. And so when you can get in alignment about expressing your expectations, what you think about on certain subjects, I think that that kind of paves the way for better communication. I do a weekly relationship vault session. And one of the questions that come up a lot is related around trust. And, you know, spouses, you know, should I share my password or should I, you know, should I let them see the code in my phone? And all of this comes from trust. And, And I always go back to, well, do you define that as cheating or not? Like, have you have you accused them of cheating? Is there been infidelity in the past? And so sometimes in relationships, you know, we have this this thing of, well, my spouse doesn't think anything is wrong with this, but I think there's something wrong with that. Well, what is your expectation? How do you define cheating? Because how you define cheating may not be how your spouse defines cheating. And so it's having those conversations to make sure that your expectations for what you expect them to do in the marriage, you need to make sure that they are aligned with what your spouse's expectations are. So when people approach you for advice and guidance, mm-hmm. what type of issues do they bring to your table? A lot of them are related to trust. Trust has been compromised in the marriage. And a lot of times the offending spouse, they realize that they've caused hurt in the marriage, but the challenge is they want to move on. They want to just not talk about it ever again. And they just want it to be a fresh start. Whereas the spouse that has been hurt is hasn't been fully healed yet. So there may be times when they still bring it up. There may be times when they need, you know, maybe they want to see your password because they don't trust you because of something that, that the offending spouse has done. And so a lot of the questions that I, I do get are centered around when trust has been compromised you know, my spouse doesn't understand this process. And so the thing that I try to reiterate to couples is that it is a process. And the challenge is, I don't want to be sexist because men cheat and women cheat, right? But a lot of the questions that come to me is when the the husband has cheated. 
And and the one thing that I have to re- reiterate for, for the husbands is that it is a process. And while you don't want to talk about it, talking about it may be a part of her healing. And then I also like to remind the husbands is that you have to ask the question of the wife, what do you need to do to help them heal? What do you need to do to help rebuild the trust? And there needs to be an active conversation around that. But then my my conversation with the wives is that because a lot of wives, not not all, but a lot of wives just expect that since the husband did the wrong, he should figure it out and fix it. And many times the husband don't know, the husband does not know what the wife needs to be healed. And so I always like to remind the wives that they should get counseling on their own because now that they have trust issues, they need to help someone uncover and unpack what they're going through. But then they also have to be in a position to share with their husbands what do they need for their healing? Because quite frankly, the husbands generally are clueless about that. They don't know what they need. They just know that they've, they cause hurt to the spouse and they don't want to talk about it anymore. And they just want her, want to hit the refresh button and they don't know what the wife needs to get healing. And sometimes the wives don't know either. And so I have to remind the wives, well, if you don't know what it, what you need to help heal and rebuild don't expect him to know. He's not going to know. You're in the best position to know what you need. And so if that means, you know, sitting on the couch and holding hands, if that gives you a level of security and comfort, you have to share that with him because he may be trying, but it may not be the thing that you need. And so that's why I always encourage the women. You may want to talk to someone to kind of help you uncover the things that you need. So you're in a better position to tell your spouse what you expect of them to help heal in this journey. My guest for this episode is an American love and relationship coach with a degree in psychology who specializes in helping women understand how men really think. Kelvin Troy Johnson. So why did you decide to become a relationship coach for women in particular? Uh, Because I had the answers that they were asking. Uh, I I remember having a conversation uh, with a young woman who she was in her mid 30s, beautiful. Uh, she was successful. She had her own. She had her own everything, you know, own job, own car, and she would always talk to me about like asking me questions. She's like, "Like you're a man. You've talked to men. Why is it that I can't find a good, high quality man? Uh, all the men that I meet are, you know, she called low quality. They they either don't have a car, they don't have a job, they don't have a life." Uh, but they have audacity to come and talk to me. <laughs> and that seems to be the only kind of guy who uh, who confronts me. And so I, I started getting these, noticing these conversations more and more about like kind of the mystery of the male behavior. And so that kind of got me going and in in, in thinking of maybe this could be something. Men and really and women, but particularly in this case, men deal with. Uh, as I dealt with men, uh, I found three areas that that were, you know, most engaging with these men. And it was the, the three things were purpose, power, and potential. So as, as I worked with the men, uh, I worked with them on discovering their own purpose, power, and potential, right? But as I was working with these men, I discovered that even as they were going into the dating market, as they're uh, seeking relationships, they are also looking for women who have a purpose in their life. Why do you think women approach you for your services? Um, well, at this point, uh, because they see my conversations online, talking about 
relationships. And really, it's very rare that you hear men talking about relationships. I mean, there's a few guys who are out there who are pretty famous at, at this point. But for the most part, most of the people who talk about relationships are women. <laughs> you know, most of the people who talk about uh, love are women. And, and um, so when you have a man willing to talk about emotions and, and thoughts and feelings and all of that, it, it kind of it catches the air. And many women are dealing with some things that they've never expressed to anybody. You know, you know, they, they're dealing with conflicts and, and, and just wondering where the relationship that they're in is going. And, you know, is this, is this really what they want? You know, um, they've, they've uh, bought into an ideal uh, that came from uh, Hollywood or more like uh, Disney, Disney <laughs> magic, you know, they brought into the Cinderella complex uh, that the prince is coming, mm. you know, the prince he's he's coming my life was terrible but one day the prince will reach out his hand and take me on my merry way and change my life forever but the but instead of a prince they end up getting a frog <laughs> well i do talk about that in my first book in fact that is the first chapter which is called love myths the five love myths it's kind of crazy how some people have got these ideas about what real love and true love is like there's only one ideal soulmate for a particular person when there's like six plus billion people on the planet <laughs> correct 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 and uh you know if, if you watch the uh hallmark movies i don't know if you get the hallmark movies over there mm -hmm. uh, but the hallmark movies will have you thinking that this is is the way that it should be and mm -hmm. you know this guy he's not acting like the guy in the hallmark movie if he would <laughs> only act better if he'd only be better and think better and treat me like that he treated the lady in the movie Oh, my life would be good and every everybody would be happy. That's a movie. It's not real life. Yeah. In real life, people come from real backgrounds of hurt and pain and tragedy and triumph. And, you know, people come from all kinds of backgrounds. And uh, in, in particular, I had one client. Uh, he was a young man. He was coming out, of the, the, coming out of the system. I worked at a homeless place. Uh, a place that kind of helped homeless men get back on their feet. And I was, I was one of the counselors there. And this gentleman, he, he, was, he came in and talked to me. He's like, you know, I've never talked to anybody really about my background and the conflicts that I have. Uh, he came from foster care system. Now, in the foster care system, uh, you could, especially back in those days, let's say uh, 30 years ago, <laughs> he and the foster care system in New Jersey, it was like something that you would have seen out of uh, some medieval, you know, movie. <laughs> slept in the basement of a house and it was cold in the wintertime and hot in the summertime. And he said, he said the, um, the people treated them literally like animals. And so he goes into the world and he's in, uh, he's, he's inequipped to handle real relationships with a real woman who has real expectations uh, of him. So that's just kind of an example of the conversations that I end up having with these women about the men in their lives and the backgrounds where these men come from and how to, how to frame it. It's about framing it. Like it's all in how you see him. Yes. Uh, he may talk to you sometimes in a way that you don't like. Right. 
but for him, that just may be his language. <laughs> that's just the, the way that he communicates, right? Now, that's not to say that you should uh, put up with somebody who talks badly to you, but you, you do have the right to say, wait a minute, sir, I don't put up with people who talk to me and call me all kinds of names and then turn around and say, you love me. That gives him a measure of what the expectation is and what she will and will not accept, which is, which is one of the biggest keys to winning in this game of relationships for women is to, to lay out that expectation of what you will and what you will not accept. Yeah, and stick to it. But that's all about personal boundaries, isn't it? Maintaining healthy personal boundaries so you know what your deal breakers are, what you will accept and what you won't accept. Unfortunately, um, some people seem to get very disappointed by their expectations, whereas your expectations are what you decide you will tolerate. Yes, yes. And that's where the conflict is. If you look at most conflicts with, within relationships, it comes about to uh, expectations. <laughs> you know, you thought it was going to be one way and I thought it was going to be a, a different way. But we didn't communicate what we were hoping for in that situation. So we don't get what we were hoping for because the person didn't know what we were hoping for. Now, sometimes people will know what, you, what you're hoping for and still not do it. Then you have to come and make a decision on if this person even is capable of giving you what you want. Well, we're talking about deal breakers, really, aren't we? So we're talking about personal boundaries and deal breakers because we have to decide as men and women what our deal breakers are. Well, Steve Harvey had great success with his book, um, Think Like a Lady, Act Like a Man. So I'm hoping that your book is as successful as Mr. Harvey's. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, Steve Harvey because he happens to be my fraternity brother and we're in the same fraternity. But my ultimate goal, Nigel, I'm closing my eyes as I'm saying this. My goal is to take Steve Harvey's place (laughs) as as the number one relationship speaker, uh, number one book that comes out that, that literally changes the way people see and view relationships that 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 book he had changed the game the podcast series hosted by author nigel beckles featuring discussions with award-winning authors therapists coaches plus individuals with intriguing stories to share available on all major podcast platforms now 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 Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe. Another In Conversation podcast coming soon.